right, it's that time. You got your Bibles? Pull out your Bibles, your devices. We're going to Matthew 16. Starts with an M-A, but it is not Mark. (laughs) Some of you will get that later. Was your Christmas good? Your New Year's good? This I, We didn't meet Sunday a week ago um, because it was Christmas. It was the day after Christmas, and I just feel like it's been forever since we've been together. And then with a little bit of inclement weather still hanging on today, we're, we're missing some of our folks. So I, I am saying hi to you all online. And, um, and we got some illness going around, just cold stuff, cold stuff, don't worry. Uh, gotta, gotta clarify that nowadays. Um, but we love you, miss you, and we're praying for you and are looking forward to seeing you in person again. Matthew 16, and we're going to start in verse 13. Oh, one thing I wanted to hit before I go into that is, um, during service today, you didn't see me up front because I was running slides. Um, also just just because I'm sure you noticed, we didn't have a verse three for that song, and that's why there was nothing on the screen. There was no verse for that. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Yeah, yeah. sorry, it just wasn't there. And I didn't want to put up another verse and have you sing something and set. Anyway, um, what I'm saying is uh, we would love to have more people involved in uh, tech and worship. And so if you are inclined to to be involved in that way. Come talk to me, come talk to Seth, and and we'll get you going soon. I know there's some people that are interested in running slides. I talked to them earlier today. So we'll, we'll get that going. It's helpful to be able to read words and know what the guy's going to sing, right? As long as you can read, and that's good. So volunteers are needed for that. Okay. Today we are beginning a new series. Um, The series is called The Blueprint, and The Blueprint is for the church that God is building. We like to build things, we like to design things and do things together, but but God has a design for the church. God invented the church, Jesus established the church, and so there's a purpose for it. So this will be probably a six, maybe seven-week series on The Blueprint, the church that God is building. Today, we're talking about the church being essential. The church is essential. We have two goals to accomplish through this whole series. Um, And the first is that we need to be reminded of what the Bible actually says about the church. Uh, We need purpose and we need perspective. There are things that, that we can get sidetracked on, but we want to be where Jesus wants us. So the first purpose is to be reminded of the purpose and perspective. The second is with that purpose and perspective, we, that will help shape what we do as a local expression of the church as we move forward into this next year. So as I said, today's message is titled, The Church is Essential, because according to Jesus, it is. It is essential. Now, the word essential um, means something that is absolutely necessary or extremely important. During these last couple years, as we've gone through the pandemic, uh, 
the meaning, we, we've learned some things. One of them is that the meaning of words can shift, right? You can, you can if you've got control of the vocabulary, you can, you can make words say anything. You can, with enough repetition, change the, the core meaning of a word or a phrase. Um, the meaning of the word essential, for example, um, might have been muddied up a little bit in the last couple of years, especially the beginning of 2020 when everything was shut down except for the essential places like Starbucks. Yeah, some of them did uh, for, for weather, but there was no, um, I know because my wife works at Starbucks and she was there through the whole thing. Um, many words like that, other concepts, uh, even political platforms, um, how to show or express values, all these things got muddied up real good. And I don't know if we will ever recover some of them. They might just be gone for good and we'll just have to move on and let it set in that mud puddle. Many things that we never gave any thought to because they were just assumed to be stable or secure. They got challenged and changed. And the purpose of the church is one of those things that got challenged by secular society and by people in the church. It was... um, Gosh, just a couple of weeks after we had relaunched, it was middle of November, and I had a long conversation with a friend of mine about what the purpose of the church was. And we were talking about um, how the church ought to express love for the community and, and what that means and whose definition of love are you going by? And, and are we going to use the secular definition of love means you just approve of everything I do and and um, and agree with everything I say, or are we talking about um, absolute truth proclaiming and, and not being kind, or, you know, where are, we, where are we at in this? The purpose of the church has been challenged. Some say the church ought to stand up against government overreach and the onset of tyranny. Others say the church is supposed to show love to a world and meet people where they're at, acquiescing to their definitions. Many churches discovered that they were off base already before the pandemic hit. And as the pandemic hit and everything was, was being sifted, it was discovered, uh-oh, we got that wrong. Some have gone astray since the pandemic, according to all the pressures of the world. There have been many divisions and broken relationships over these issues, And you all know exactly what I'm talking about because you've had these conversations on your phone and in your living room. So it is vital that we understand what the church and the local church are supposed to be. Who is the church? What is our role? Who are we? So through our time in the word today, I believe the Lord will begin to recalibrate our hearts and minds to think about and engage the church, one another, in a way that strengthens and brings about his purpose. So let's look into the word of God, Matthew 16. Lord, we come to your word humbly to be taught and instructed. We need some clarity on this. We need your guidance and leading in this. If we're going to be on assignment with you, 
on mission with you, then we need to, to know clearly what that is. So begin to work in our hearts and minds today to shape us in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven, he revealed this to you. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. All right, what's the context of this passage? Well, prior to this, just a little bit before this, um, we read about a time where the Pharisees had come out to see Jesus and they were there to provoke him. They were there to, to prove or to discredit him um, by providing, and, and, and they wanted him to, to step in it, basically, to make a mistake. He was, he was urged to provide a sign. They said, give us a sign that you're the Messiah. And Jesus responds by telling them that, that no sign will be provided <laughs> and that he's not playing their game. And him and his disciples can continue to travel into other regions. They just kept moving. They're not going to engage that, that issue. During their journey across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus reminds the disciples of the miracle where he had multiplied 5,000, or, or fed the 5,000 with uh, five loaves and two fish. And he was talking about how to avoid the, the leaven of the Pharisees. They were confused. But he was reminding them and bringing, back, um, bringing their mind back to when he had done all these signs. Signs that everyone saw and went, oh, this is the Messiah. So it wasn't really that they needed a sign to believe him. They just didn't want to believe him and were trying to trip him up. Verse 13 says... But Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, which is a Gentile region just north of the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's at the base of Mount Hermon, which is the tallest mountain in the area. Mount Hermon is mentioned in, um, in the Psalms, um, where there is always dew and always snow at the top. It's a source of water. It's one of the three sources of water for the Jordan River. This area here is called, uh, was originally called the Peneus in honor of the Greek god Pan, who was not a nice god. Um, and that's also conveniently where we get the word pandemic. <laughs> so we, we uh, are familiar with the god Pan. Okay, um, it was at this spot that Jesus chose to make it explicitly clear that he was the Christ. He was the Christ. And at the same time, Jesus unveiled a powerful understanding of who they were collectively, the church. In fact, this is the first time that, that the church, the word church is used in the New Testament in this way. 
Six days later in this same region was the transfiguration where Jesus went up on the mountain and uh, with just three of his disciples and was transfigured before them. But this statement about the church and, and who, um, who he was and that being revealed to them was a, was a prophetic and a powerful moment for the disciples to receive a revelation of who he was and his vision for what his people were to become right there in the middle of a Gentile region named after a pagan God, probably really close to the, the areas of worship in the temple, the, the temple of Pan. He wants us to have a vision for what he started. So before we break down the text, let's define the church. The church. As I said, this is the first time that this word is used in the New Testament. It wasn't the first time this word was used. He didn't invent this. It was was a Greek word. The word is pronounced ekklesia. And this word was used in the Greek language to reference specifically a called out or separated assembly of distinguished citizens to determine laws or participate in political debate. And so you were called out. They would, they would make the call. They would go to your house or to your place and say, it's time. Come on, let's gather together. It was a group of ones that were called for a specific purpose, most of the time judicial or political matters sometimes philosophical and and other things. But we see groups like this in Athens during the missionary journeys of Paul. The word was not previously used to reference a religious group, but just political. But Jesus used this word to describe his people, meaning that we are a body of believers who have been called out called forth, selected and assembled by, to be God's representatives in every city, state, and nation. When we stop to consider the meaning of this word, we quickly realize that some cultural descriptions nowadays and comments concerning the church nowadays don't really fit what they were talking about as the church. For example, uh, you've heard the phrase, you know, the building is not the church, you are the church. Yes, yes, as a collective, you are the church, the group of called out ones. But you, by yourself, in the woods, worshiping God because you like nature, that's not church, right? So the, the idea of an individual being the church um, was, would have been a foreign concept, absolutely. It was the group together. It was the collective. Church is not something you attend, but something you belong to, right? We kind of think of it being a location um, where, where we go for a service, but the church was something you belong to. It's an, organiz- an organism, an organization. The purpose of the church, simply put, is to re- represent the fullness of Jesus Christ in the earth. We are, scripture says, the body of Christ in Ephesians. In 1 Timothy, we are the household of God. In Ephesians 2, we are the temple of God. In Colossians 1, we are the kingdom of Christ. And in 2 Corinthians, we are the bride of Christ. That's why we say that we are on mission with Jesus because we are his body, his temple. We are on mission with Jesus to see the lost saved and disciples made. We're his representatives 
to be his example, to do his deeds and bring his news. The church is a gathering of those who are saved for a purpose, a purpose. The church is built on Jesus. So a couple things about the church. It is built on Jesus and it is built by Jesus, right? Jesus established it and he said that it would be built on him. How did he say that? Well, in verse 13 and 15, Jesus asked two questions to his his disciples. First one was, who do do people say that I am? And and they gave him their answers, John the Baptist, Elijah, maybe Jeremiah. Um, but But then he asked the second question, okay, all right, who do you say that I am? Do you get the impression as you read this, this passage that Jesus knew exactly where this conversation was going? You know that feeling where, where have you ever done that with somebody? Like you kind of lead them in a certain direction by asking leading questions, right? Right? You want them to come to a certain conclusion. If any of you have ever taught uh, kids anything, um, I, I can think of some math equations right now where I was like, okay, well, what is this? And you're not telling them, do this, do this, but you ask them the things that they already know, right? Okay, and sometimes they know the answer even though they don't know they know the answer. So you just kind of pull it out of them. That's kind of what Jesus was doing here. And Peter answers in verse 16 saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Bingo. All right. Now Jesus was like, hey, we got this going right now. Thank you for participating in our lesson today. And Jesus responds immediately to Peter saying, um, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus tells Peter that this is the revelation of who Jesus is. This this revelation was not given to him by man, but God. And Peter and the disciples could not have come to this truth by natural means or on their own. Neither can we. You cannot be logically talked into the kingdom of heaven. You have to believe and the Holy Spirit awakens something in you and and then you, you can believe. We're not going to get into a whole the whole conversation about Calvinism and and you know some are chosen and not that God wants everybody to be saved and the Holy Spirit is actively working on every heart. In verse 18. Jesus says, you are Peter. Now we know that this name means rock in the original language. In Greek, it's Petros, Petros. And it means a a piece of rock as opposed to Petra, which is a cliff face or or a a massive um, stone formation. Petros is is still large and signifies stability, but is not Petra. And so he uses both words there. He says, you are Peter, you are stable, you are a rock, and you're going to be a major part of this. And on this Petra, the larger thing, this revelation that we're talking about, this is what I'm building my kingdom on. This revelation that we just talked about, this is where he was leading them with his questions. All right, this is the revelation. I am the Christ, the son of the living God. And on that, we will build this kingdom. Petros, Peter, being being a rock, 
later on in in 1 Peter, he writes about us being living stones. He uses a different word for stones, for, for rocks, but he's talking about how God is building his kingdom with living stones. He's building his temple with living stones, and that's us. Some have taken the passage to mean that the whole church was to be built on Peter, him, you know, on the first pope and, and all that. But it's just simply not the case because we know that Peter himself didn't think that. Um, and when we consider his own words calling everybody rocks, and he wasn't calling you dumb as a box of rocks, he was saying he was a living stone. The New Testament is clear that Jesus is the foundation of the church, not Amen, not Peter. Jesus is the head of the church. On this rock refers to the answer to the question that Peter had just answered. And Jesus took that moment to also affirm Peter in his identity. Because Peter was not really a stable guy at that point <laughs> in the game. I imagine some of the other disciples just going, He's a what? Uh, okay. Like, the church of Jesus Christ cannot be built on anything other than Jesus Christ. And this revelation that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. I love the way that Jesus brought them to that place and said, here's, here's how I'm going to build my church. The second thing is it's is that the church is built by Jesus. It's built on Jesus and who he is and that revelation, and it's built by Jesus. He's the one building it. Jesus says it explicitly, I will build my church. Not only is the church built on this revelation, but, but Jesus is actively in the process and, and moving us and placing us as he sees fit. He started the church and now he builds through us. This is why he has invested so much into his people. This is why he, he spent so much time with those first 12 to get the foundation going. For the building up of the body and second for reaching the world. It wasn't just about building a, a location. It was building a, a mission station. A, a place where the gospel could go out from. We have now, today, we have God's word and we have the gifts of the spirit and we have the witness of faithful disciples who have gone before us, all equipping us, preparing us, compelling us forward in the purpose of Christ. Now, in those days, in, in that region of the world, they built houses out of stone. We say Jesus was a carpenter. Joseph was a carpenter, which meant more, more likely than not that he was a stone worker. Now, he, he could probably make things out of, out of wood. He was probably really good with making things. But Jesus, one of the main mediums that he would have used was stones. And Jesus likely worked with Joseph as he was the oldest son there as as carpenter as builders and they would build houses and they would build buildings and the picture here is that every person who has this revelation and confesses Jesus as the Christ will become a stone in the church that God is building as we are fitted together we are solid we are strong we're stable 
the church as Jesus imagined it, as Jesus designed it and planned it. I mentioned this verse a minute ago, 1 Peter 2, and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is building the church with us, the living stones. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. We're glad that Jesus is building this. We want him in charge of the process. We want him working us according to his plan because our plans fail. Our plans are not good. I mean, they think, we think they're good because they came out of our head, you know, and, and so we, we think we got some good ideas and Jesus says, yes, but, but, but here's the plan. Here's the plan. I'm so glad that Jesus is building the church because the way he builds things, it lasts. It lasts. It's permanent, not temporary. Uh, as we were decorating for Christmas <laughs> here, um, you see these, these wreaths on the north wall uh, that we had some garland going through, uh, connecting those. And, and we hung those up. I say we because I'm just lumping myself into this. I didn't actually physically hang them up, but I was part of the team that did. And, uh, and so we, we hung those up on, have you ever heard of command strips? Right? Command strips with the, with the hooks, right? And uh, these particular command strips were dollar store command strips. <laughs> They, they were the commanded strips. Um, and so, so those were up there. We, we got through with the decorating and then came, I came in, uh, when, when did we do that? On a Saturday, Sunday? Yeah. Um, the next morning, Sunday, we came, I came in early and that one was on the ground. And the garland was everywhere and there was glitter. And you know how much I like glitter. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. And I just went, oh, I, I took a picture of it and I sent it to the ladies who had been working with me on that. And I, okay. So uh, we, we figured out, and, and guess what we did instead of that command strip, we put in something more permanent. We put in a, a nail and a hook. <laughs> I said, we'll patch a hole. That's fine. Like we want that thing to stay put. Wednesday, I came in again, and the middle one had fallen down. And so guess what we did? We replaced that command strip, that commanded strip, the dollar store command strip, with a nail and a hook. Excuse me. So, and for those online, we had some honking and probably some road rage out on Meridian there. Lord save them. Um, so... Two of them fell, the garland, and we just we gave up on the garland. We realized that we had put too much weight on a unstable uh, hook, something that, that was not going to really hold the weight. And that's an illustration of, of our plans versus the Lord's plans, right? We, we have got ideas, and we think it'll go good, but the way that the Lord builds things, he's the master builder. 
He knows how to do things. He, and he is outside of our perspective. He's above our perspective. He can see. He knows. He knows who you are. He knows who I am. He knows how to fit people together. He knows how to, the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he wills when we're gathered. He knows these things. It's not ours to know. We can't know it. So we let him do the building. And we present ourselves to him as living stones. The church was designed and built to last, not to fall off the wall. Jesus built it and he's building it and he doesn't fail. He is the master builder. So the church is built on the foundation of, that revelation of who Jesus is, that's the foundation. And it is built and continues to be built by Jesus. The church is the unstoppable representation of Jesus. Jesus says in, in 16, uh, verse 18 and 19, also I say to you, you are Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. The gates of Hades will not overpower or prevail against the church. What, is, what does that mean? Jesus is building a, a strong church able to break through and grow past any limiting factors. Many have interpreted this and we kind of imagine um, this as the church withstanding attacks, the church um, being strong defensively and, and a, a bulwark and a, uh, uh, what, what, are the, what did I say, a basilica. You, you'd want to be a, a fortress and, and the forces of hell could not break through. But that's not what Jesus was saying. The word here is not hell, but Hades. And that's corresponding to the Old Testament Sheol, which is the place of the dead. He could have been playing off the the area that they were in because they were probably close to the Temple of Pan. And that was a place of death. There was human sacrifice and, and stuff going on there. And Pan, again, was not a nice god. He could have been re- uh, referring to that as well. But gates are are not weapons of warfare. So the gates of Hades are not something that's coming after you or after the church, but gates are an entry point or maybe a, a something that keeps out or keeps in. When the gates are closed, it's secure. But Jesus said that those gates of Hades, the place of the dead, will not withstand the church. They will not overpower the church, meaning the church is going to the gates of Hades. Hades isn't coming to the church. The church is going to those gates, and those gates will not withstand it. They will not overpower it. This is quite an image. This is a little bit different than than the way I've always pictured this phrase. Now, what is Jesus talking about? Death, the place of the death won't overcome the church, won't overpower the church. Jesus is literally six months away from giving his life and dying. All of the disciples that he's with right now will die. 11 of the 12 violently. So this movement called the church 
You know, how, how is he talking about death? Because they're all going to die. But what he's saying is death, even death will not overpower the church. Though your body die, I have given you eternal life and the church will continue. The church will not be overpowered by death. Those who are a part of it will not die. Gates are a defensive tool. And Jesus is saying that those gates, those defensive tools of the enemy will not hold. And the place of the dead will be plundered by the church. The place of the dead, where where dead souls are, where people who do not know and have not heard, the church is called to bust through those gates and take back the dead. The gates of Hades will not overpower. What's that? Oh, I heard you whispering. You want to share with the class? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read your note up here in front of everybody. The church will go into the place of the dead, proclaim the gospel and snatching those who are dead out of the grip of sin and death and bringing them to the eternal life that Jesus has given us. Jesus is not talking about holding up in a fortress and being safe. He's not talking about being content and building a place where we can, we can be insulated and isolated from the world around us. It was the other way around. We're going that way. We're taking the gospel out. We are the representation of Jesus, carrying his name, his revelation, and um, his works out there. We are to be his representatives. Jesus says to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Now, this would take a really this could be its own series, okay? And we're not going to do this. So we're just for simplicity and time's sake. Keys represent access and authority. The keys to the kingdom provide entrance. On, um, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter proclaims the gospel and 3,000 were saved, it was the proclamation of the gospel that was a key. That's how they entered the issue of binding and loosing has absolutely nothing to do with Satan or demons. These were actually rabbinical phrases and terms, binding and loosing, meaning forbidding and permitting. And this was an issue where the church was being able to discipline those within and grow together. And Jesus was giving church leaders authority. He was giving the church authority. The church cannot be stopped by the enemy, by man, or by death. The church is Jesus' unstoppable representation in the earth. That's who we are. So the church is, as we just kind of kick off this series, the blueprint, the church that God is building, it is built on the foundation of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it is built and continues to be built by Jesus himself. He's the one doing it. We are living stones. We are elements of that church. And as we present ourselves to him to be placed properly, we are the called out ones. 
We're the ones who have been saved. And so we gather together and our purpose is to save those who have not yet been saved. The church cannot be stopped, not by man, not by our enemy, and not by death. Nothing can stop the church because Jesus gave us eternal life and we carry his name, which is the most powerful. This is who we are. We are his church. That means we carry his name, which is stronger than anyone else. And what an honor to be able to carry his name on the earth. I'm looking forward to to diving into the elements of who the church is and what we are supposed to do. And we're not going to talk about more of that now. You'll have to wait till next time. But we are going to take communion together. Communion was one of those things that Jesus instructed the church to do. And uh, we... You know, it's called communion or the Lord's Supper. But he said to do this in remembrance of him. It was one of the things that he, he commanded his disciples. And so we see it in the early church. They, they continued to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. He offered the disciples the bread and the wine of the Passover meal. Go ahead and, and begin passing. Take one. I'll just remind you that it's double cup. The bread is underneath. Make sure you grab both cups. Otherwise, you're just getting the juice. And you want both. He offered his disciples the bread and the wine, symbolizing his body and his blood. The body bore our punishment our sicknesses, and our diseases. And the sin of the world actually rested on him. His body bore that. So that we are now free of our sin because of what he did on the cross. We gratefully receive the body of Christ. And I'll I'll wait just a moment until everybody's been served. Lord, we're so grateful that you gave your body for us. And even as we're talking about being the church and, and how, how you set things up and how you are building things, we remember that you made this sacrifice and you gave your body for us. So we gratefully take the bread together. The blood of Jesus is the sign of of the new covenant that we have with God, brokered by Jesus. Not that God was out to get us and, and Jesus had to mediate in that way, but there was a divine justice that needed to be settled. And we had sin in our veins. And so Jesus made a new way to relate to the Father. 
by dealing with that sin and taking the punishment for the sin that would separate us from God. So we have this new way of relating to the Father. The blood is the symbol of life, his life for ours. Now we relate to God as clean and holy without sin because Jesus cleansed us with his blood. We gratefully take the cup together. Lord, we are those who have been redeemed. We are those who have received your mercy, your forgiveness, and your grace. How grateful we are that you have chosen to redeem us. And you didn't just let us, let us go. You pursued us and you redeemed us. And now you build your church using us. I ask you today, Lord, that you would remind us of who we are. Refresh in our heart the vision of the church where we have wandered off course and lost track of who we are, what we're about. Fix our perspective, Lord. Where we've turned inward and become fixated on our own issues and problems. Show us our purpose again. Fix our perspective, Lord. We lift our eyes to you and fix our gaze on you, the author and finisher of our faith. You're the builder of our faith. The foundation and the builder of the church is you, Lord. And we're so grateful you are. Would you be with us today? As you go, would you be full of the Holy Spirit? And may he be speaking constantly to you about your purpose, your identity, and how he has fit you within the church. Amen. Amen.